Hi, Nikki. Here we are. Here we are. It's been a while. We right. took a little break. Been a minute, but yeah. season two. Yay. Episode nine. That's right. Here we come. <laughs> so you are very excited about this. Episode. I am super excited about this episode, Nikki. It's been a long time coming. Yes. No but... pun intended. Oh my God. <laughs> You're not starting that already, are you? I'm sorry. Let me behave until our guests arrive and then okay. we won't behave. So today our guests are Jess and Brandon. Yes. And it's our first time actually having a couple on. Yeah. So yeah. that should be interesting. Interesting. Yes. So let me read about Jess. Jess O'Reilly, PhD, is an award-winning sexologist and author who travels the globe to work with top business leaders in 45 plus countries from the USA and Canada to Hong Kong to Switzerland. She started her career as a high school teacher and is excited to bring evidence-based programming to the masses via the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, co-hosted by her life partner, Brandon Ware. Jess and Brandon have been together for nearly two decades, and though they don't normally work together, he's in real estate, they've been collaborating on the podcast for the last 24 months, and the chemistry is palpable. Jess dives into the research and practical strategies for more fulfilling relationships, and Brandon offers a perfect balance of personal experience, vulnerability, and humor. The result is a balance of entertainment, education, and real take-home value. Yep, so here we go. Here we go. So we're not going to all talk about just sex, right, Michelle? Yes, we are, Nikki. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not. <laughs> so let's get to it, right? Yes, I'm really excited about it. Oh, gosh. I'm a little <laughs> bit stressed. I can't lie. No, just breathe. It's going to be fine. I promise. WTF, we're doing a podcast. I'm Nikki. And I'm Michelle. This is 50. Welcome to What the 50. Join us on our continued journey to simplify our lives. We will seek the answers from the experts and offer tips, tools, and techniques to live your life with confidence and joy. Are we ready? Let's go. So, this is Jess and this is Brandon. Michelle? Hi guys, welcome. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Of course, we're happy to have you. So you know all about Jess because we told about her in the intro, mm -hmm. but Jess is also my niece. Mm -hmm. So yeah, let's- Are we? That. Yes, let's just leave. Well, her it's... mom and I are first cousins. Oh, so okay. just be easier to call her my niece. Right. But Nikki is like close, as close to my generation as she is to that generation. I'm well, just, I'm just saying you're young, Nikki. You're young. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> embrace it. Embrace I'm it. I'm closer to this generation. <laughs> but uh, so Michelle wants to talk all about sex in this. And of course, you know us, right? I don't want to talk about sex at all. It's like, no, let's talk about relationships. Jess, Michelle sent me this uh, podcast. Why do Asians not want to talk about <laughs> sex? Oh my goodness. That's so interesting. So I have to ask first and foremost, was it by Asians or by white people about Asians? It was by Caucasian about Asians. Oh, Lord. But I, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but Nikki and I are going to listen to it and then we'll 
come to our own conclusions after that. Yeah, white people talking about other cultures and what they've observed in other cultures mm-hmm. is something that um, you know we're really talking about now. This like not only are you going to colonize our land, you're also going to colonize our culture, right? <laughs> when like it's the meme of went to Japan once knows everything about sushi or like you know speaks Korean is therefore Korean by by default. So I, I mean I think we can talk seriously about why some Asian people struggle to speak about sex, but I want to say something that I feel so strongly about as somebody who is mixed race and then mixed race again, right? Because I'm Chinese Jamaican, which is already a hybrid and its own beast. And then I'm Irish on the other side, on my dad's side. And I work everywhere, right? Like I work often in China. I work often in India. I'm talking like, you know, 40 different cities. Um, And one thing I notice is that Asian cultures, we may be willing to admit that sex is a hard thing to talk about, but in admitting that vulnerability, in being able to say, you know what, this is something that's hard for us, there's so much power versus the Western lens of, we know everything about sex, blah, 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 blah. Because people will always say to me, especially Western people and white people, they will say, oh, you're going to India to do your sex talks. They must really need it there. And I'm like, well, what do you know about India? What do you know about India and sex? And the other thing that white people and Western people have to understand is what we are willing to say and do in front of you might be different than what we're doing within our own communities. So I actually, as a sexologist, find that in some respects, it's easier to work in Asia because there's a willingness to admit that this is a struggle versus that pounding on my chest, I know everything, we're so sex positive um, approach that can kind of hold you back. Well, I mean, you talk about, as a white guy, I didn't talk about <laughs> sex growing I didn't talk about sex growing up with my family. So I don't know where all these white people are talking about where, you know, it's it's everyone talks about it all the time. I can remember that maybe two or three times my mom and my dad said anything about sex and the very little that I learned in school. So it's not like And what did they say? The my parents said don't come home with a kid. That was their that was the kind of the sex ed. Now I'm sure that I'm glossing over some other conversation, but that was the most poignant conversation that I remember growing up and being probably 17 when I had that chat. How many kids did you have by then? <laughs> zero. Still have zero. But Nikki, and I'm sorry, I'll like throw it back to you guys, but I just want to say, because Nikki obviously knows my mother, grew up with my mother. My mom talked to us and she bought us books. I had a book called Where Do I Come From and What's Happening to My Body? And they had full illustrations of nudity, uh, the vulva, explanations of beyond the sperm going into the egg, right? Because it's one thing to learn the science, but it's like, okay, well, where, how does the sperm get to the egg? Like, do you shoot it out of a super soaker? Like, do you swallow it in a pill? Uh, My mom really did teach us that. And she was very sex positive in a quiet way. Like I remember, this is going to be a reveal, maybe to poor Nikki. Are you okay, Nikki? <laughs> Hold her hand. Hold her hand. Um, I remember, you know, I think I had like touched myself and my mom saying to me, oh, I know that feels good, but that's something you have to do in your room. So no shame, uh, a lot of validation, maybe not in the, I put it on Instagram kind of performative way. <laughs> Although my mom's on Instagram now, not talking about sex, mostly just posting baked goods. So my experience is different. And that's why 
when, listen, if Asian want to people, Asian people want to say, we struggle to talk about sex, that's totally within their right. But when white people come and say, Asian families can't talk about sex, well, I'm actually part of an Asian family. And we did. And let me tell you who didn't talk about sex, my white father. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, I think that um, the sex talk is like, I'm okay speaking about it with Trevor, mm -hmm. but I just don't want to speak about it with everybody else, you know, like, and I, I think when, like, I would get uncomfortable when his family or his grandparents would make these sex jokes. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I can't manage this, you know, but. But I think in all our Jamaican culture, though, we don't really talk about sex, but it's, it's in our music, it's in our dancing, it's in a lot of things, but we actually don't really have the serious conversations about it or a joke about it. But I think we have to get to that point where it's really not a big deal. Right. It's not. We have to get comfortable. But that takes time, though. That takes sure. a lot of time. And, and podcasts like this where persons mm -hmm. can listen to it and realize, ah, it's actually okay to have the conversation, not just say, don't come home with a kid. You can get comfortable with right. your children and they don't think sex is this thing that you have to hide in a room and hide. And you know what I mean? You have, they don't have a negative right. thought. They don't have negative thoughts about sex, which is important. But like in everything, as a parent, you have to do things. So as a parent, I know Trevor speaks very matter-of-factly about sex with the boys. So I have to also be very matter-of-factly about it and not mm -hmm. like, I can't talk about it. It's like with the lizards, sorry, with the analogy, Trevor says, you are not going to make my children be scared of lizards. So whenever <laughs> a lizard would jump on me, I'd have to be, no, no problem, no problem. <laughs> I mean, we have to be realistic. Talking about sex is so important. Lizards jumping on you, not an important life skill. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, and the story of Jamaican sex education uh, and maybe not having comprehensive sex education and having sex education that is rooted in a church that doesn't necessarily address the comprehensive nature of sex and the relational elements and the emotional elements um, is the story of pretty much every colonized nation that was colonized by a white Christian country, right? A lot of the holdovers that exist in terms of sexual hangups in Jamaica exist across the surviving colonies. And a lot of it comes from colonization. Like if you look, I, I don't know, you know what, I, I know more about say indigenous folks here in Canada and the States, there was a sex positive, you know, gender fluid, Mm -hmm. open embracing culture that pre-existed the colonizers yeah. and so like I'll hear from people oh well Jamaica's super homophobic well let's just go back to when those buggery laws started right. and it started I believe with the Brits yes. uh, and there's so there's so many layers to that conversation you know as parents the struggle is you have to be okay talking about it on your own first right and so it can be really scary of course to talk to kids, but I, I think what we also have to reassure reassure parents of is that talking about sex does no, nothing to encourage sex. Absolutely. Comprehensive sex education does not hasten the onset of sexual behavior. We know that we have, you know, a wealth of data showing that abstinence education is more positively correlated with risk taking behaviors. So 
talking about it is so important and also acknowledging that it's uncomfortable. Like Nikki, you know, I do this for a living and you obviously, you know, you see my work and you see me out there and I am very comfortable talking about it. However, that doesn't mean I'm comfortable in every context. That doesn't mean I'm comfortable with the whole family. That doesn't mean I'm comfortable even talking about my own sex life. And so acknowledging that like we have these boundaries is okay. As a parent, you can say to your kid, like, you know, my parents never talked to me, talked to me about this. I'm nervous to talk to you but it is so important. And so I'm going to try and I'll make mistakes. And if we need to figure things out and go look things up together, we can do that. But uh, you know, I remember the sex educator saying to me that every time you talk to your child, you are auditioning, right? You are applying to see if they will come back to you next time or if they will go to Google or YouTube or a friend or some random person or like we're hearing about these sexual assaults up here in Canada at the university, at Western University right now. Um, we know that many of those assaults uh, occur in conjunction with drug and alcohol use. So do you want your kids to come to you or do you want them to you know, start asking questions when they are drinking or when they are using drugs or of people who are supplying these things to them? So if we really think, and I think of the same thing in relationships, right? Every time I go to Brandon with a problem, it's an audition um, and I'm hoping that he's going to want to call me back, right? And I'm not saying that, like, you know, it's so precarious that I don't know if he's coming back, but if we could treat things with that kind of tender care and respect, I think it makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. It's all about the conversations. We just have to keep them open and fluid and just hope it works. Yeah. And make mistakes. Yeah. So for sure. So we wanted to talk to you about relationships and Michelle wanted to talk to you about <laughs> sex and relationships. <laughs> so what would you, Brandon and Jess, recommend as a few things to keep your relationships spicy and vibrant? I see you throwing to me already. <laughs> um, time apart keeps us, uh, keeps things spicy. You're like giving me a high five there. Yeah, no, we pre-pandemic, we would spend a lot of time apart. Jess travels I would say 50% of the year. And even when we are together, we spend time apart doing our own things, having our own interests, our own circles of friends. Uh, so to me, that's probably one of the more important things to keep things spicy. Yeah, it's so funny because now we spend all our time together. So what, what does that say? <laughs> Still going strong, 20 years. Congrats, um, guys. Thank you. Yeah. So definitely time apart. And that's actually the first thing that comes to mind for me, because I see in relationships, uh, couples looking to fulfill one of looking to fill one another's every single need from the emotional to the spiritual, uh, to the social, to the sexual, to the conversational, to the intellectual. And that's just not realistic. I, I don't know if, you know, if many of your listeners are Jamaican, I do think maybe Jamaicans are pretty good about, um, having their own, social lives, oftentimes, perhaps more than a lot of the young couples I'm seeing in Canada and the States. Uh, another piece is being willing to try new things, right? Do things that are uncomfortable. Like when we talk about the formula for passion in relationships, it really is about risk and the unknown. So when you first meet and you fall in love and you're so excited and you can't wait to get your claws in them and you want to get them naked and you're sweating and your heart is racing, it's because there is fear. There is fear of rejection. There is fear of the unknown. And then what we do in relationships, and we go too far, I especially think in the West, to make relationships safe and comfortable. And of course, safe and safety and comfort and trust and love and honesty are at the basis of the relationship. But if you don't leave any space for the unknown, 
for risk, for novelty, uh, for fear of rejection. Anxiety, a small amount of it, is actually essential to excitement. It's also essential to peak performance, right? If you, if you don't have anxiety, you kind of don't care about things. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's another piece. And then when it comes to the bedroom, you have, you have to plan to have sex. Like I'm not saying you have to put it in your iCal or in your calendar, but you have to carve out the time. Like nothing happens on its own. Your kids didn't get into university because it just happened. You know, you don't show up at the gym because, you know, God brought you there. You make a plan to do these things. And people will complain that planning for sex takes away the spontaneity and takes away the excitement. And I always want to challenge them to go back to the beginning when they first met and first had sex and they like to pretend it was spontaneous, but in fact, it was all planned. You carved out time to go on a date. You probably groomed yourself. You changed your sheets. You like, you told other people they weren't going to be seeing you that night because you were going on a date hoping to get laid. And we stopped doing that. And so I'm not saying it has to be boring and clinical like sex at 7 p.m. till 7.25 p.m. on Tuesday. But if you can take turns kind of surprising each other for sex, another big piece is talking about it. How often do you want to have sex, right? Like being able to say to your partner, I wish we could have it three times a week. Okay, well, what are we going to do about that? Because again, it doesn't just happen on its own. And then the last piece of that from a clinical or theoretical perspective is understanding that sexual desire is not always spontaneous. The bulk of sexual desire for most people in long-term relationships is what we call responsive, which means if you wait until you're in the mood to have sex and you're both in the mood, you might never have it. You actually have to do something to get in the mood. So if you get into bed and you're not in the mood, it's fine to say, I'm not in the mood, I'm going to sleep. But sometimes can you say, I'm not in the mood, but let's see what we can do to get me in the mood, right? Sometimes you have to have what we call arousal first desire. You have to get physically aroused and then the mental desire for sex follows. And I know that's a little bit clinical, but if you apply it in your lives, it means that, you know what, touch me this way and let's see where it goes. Reach for that toy and let's see if we can get me in the mood. Let me fantasize, kiss me this way. And that also applies outside the bedroom because if you're jerks to each other or if you're building resentment or if you're not being kind or if you're not being flirtatious or if you're just being business partners taking care of your kids or taking care of your house or taking care of your business, you're not laying the groundwork to create that arousal. Right. So you mentioned there's a lot of spice there. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm writing, I'm, I'm taking notes. Um, but there are things that can affect the sex in couples. And you mentioned resentment as one of those things. What are the other things that can affect couples? Well, the biggest, you know, sex killer is kids. Mm-hmm. We know that after you have kids, you're tired. Uh, your schedules change, your priorities change. And again, this is a choice. Like you have to ask yourself, do I want to prioritize my child or do I want to prioritize this relationship? And listen, it doesn't have to be a hierarchy where one is picked over the other, but at moments you're going to have to choose your relationship. Your kids will be okay, right? I watch parents kind of running around, making sure that their kid has everything under the sun to create their trophy kid. And they're letting themselves and their relationships slide. And then, you know, the kid hits 11, 12, and eventually moves out, not at 11 or 12, but they, they become more independent. And then at 18 or so, or 17, they're gone. And then what are you left with? So your kids can wait, your relationship can't. Um, kids is, is a big one. Resentment, of course, is another. And resentment is one that you have to work on. Your partner cannot fix it for you. Your partner cannot do anything to make you let go of your resentment. That is your choice, your work. See a therapist or use another form of you know self-therapy that works for you. Um, other things, I mean, exhaustion and overscheduling is mm-hmm. a big one. I'd say for like for us, it would be the overscheduling that would detract from our sex life, meaning we work 
a lot. Um, I'm really social. And so sometimes that, you know, I want to be at my house right now. I want to be sitting out on the, on the courtyard there, like staying out later and having wine with people. But I have to sometimes just say like, no, if I, if I want to like connect with my husband, whether it's sex or just being together, I've got to go in earlier. So a lot of it is actually practical. I think we like to think of sex as chemical and primal. And of course that's hot and you can create, you can create that in a long-term relationship if you create risk. Right. If you do something risky together, whether that's having a conversation that's uncomfortable about your fantasies or trying a new toy or like watching something sexy together or reading something sexy together or, um, you know, talking about subjects that rile you up, um, even if you disagree on them, as soon as you get that tension, that's when you can start to feel the attraction more. And I do think there's a sliding scale formula where some of us need more risk than others, like my degree of risk would probably be higher than yours. And so you have to find that kind of happy medium. Um, and, you know, another thing, you know, we asked Brandon from the onset, what keeps things hot? And he's talked about time apart. Another thing that's, you know, I think more controversial and scarier for people is acknowledging that lots of different things turn you on, including lots of different people. And you have to have so much love and security in your relationship to even acknowledge that. So I'm not saying if you're on shaky ground or your relationship isn't secure right now, go and talk about other people. That's not what I'm suggesting. Mm -hmm. um, but do everything you can to build the foundation of the relationship, which is love and trust and communication. And I have a ton of tools. You know, if you, you know, I also have a podcast uh, and on the podcast, we have all these different conversations for you to have with your partner, like a passion interview, an interview about time, an interview about family, an interview about money, conversations you need to be having to build the foundation. And then once you build the foundation, that's when you can go and, you know, admire other people or admit that other things turn you on or watch a video together. But it's not this uh, quick fix where it's like, well, I listened to the, I would listen to the W2F podcast and she said that we should watch porn together. Well, what I'm saying is you need to lay the foundation so that that can even be a conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. From the onset, I guess your partner has to be a priority for sure in your life. And I do see a lot of people once they have kids, it's all of a sudden, it's about the kids. You know? And I think I'm guilty of that. I mean, I, I tend to focus on the boys a lot. And sometimes I just have to draw breaks and be deliberate. We just have to be deliberate. I mean, as you said, we're not putting our calendars, but we have to be consciously um, aware of what's happening and when we're not spending enough time because it's not going to happen on its own. So we just have Absolutely. to be conscious about it. Yeah. Because then we're at the stage where we're at now where mm -hmm. they don't need you anymore. And, mm -hmm. and then what? And they're gone. And then what? And then yeah. we come to your question. Um, sex at any age? No. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. you, need, you know, I mean, sex is ageless, right? And we know that, as you said, when you're young, you're ripping each other's clothes off and you're, you're just excited, constantly excited. But health happens, life happens, things happen that can affect um, sex in the bedroom and or wherever but age though age is something that is going to happen and how do we deal with aging the aging process both for men and for women because for us at this stage we're going to be looking at stretch marks and gray hair and cellulite and for the men they have their own set of issues right how do we look past that and say well I do have gray hair I do have cellulite but I know that I'm sexy and I want to continue to have mind-blowing sex with my partner. And I think it's important for us to understand that, not because you're not, Nikki's dying here. Not she's, because so, not. she's sweating so much. 
<laughs> not because you're not 19, 20. That means you're not supposed to have great sex. It's you, You're supposed to. There's no limit on it. You know what I mean? So my question is, how do you, as you age, um, accept where you are and, and the whole process is going to change? Everything is going to change from erectile dysfunction to to dryness and you know what I mean? How do you take that bottle of lubricant into the bed and feel sexy about it? Yeah, I mean, th those are great questions. So first and foremost, I'll say that sex gets better with age and the data right. shows that specifically like for women as we become more confident, get to know our bodies better. Um, so I think that's just an important piece to, to begin with. What's more is that we need to let go of the stigma and reframe sex so that sex isn't just one thing. So in the hetero context, if people just think sex is putting a penis in a vagina, um, that is going to change. And dear God, I'm thankful for that because just a penis in a vagina is far less likely to produce an orgasm for the woman mm -hmm. than all the other things that we are going to discover because of a so-called problem. So I see so many clients who, as they age, or not even with age necessarily, but they run into issues like erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or dryness or painful intercourse. And what they learn in the process is that, oh my God, there are all these other things that lead to, as you described it, mind-blowing pleasure. It's not just about a hard penis going in a wet vagina. So first and foremost, uh, we need to destigmatize lube because everyone is using lubricant. Like the next generation knows that lubricant is the norm. Lubricant is not the solution to a problem. Lubricant mm -hmm. is just something we can all use to make sex hotter and wetter uh, and more exciting. The options, the positions, the techniques, the pleasure, they all grow exponentially when you use lube, regardless of whether you are so-called dry or not. Then we need to do some basic education to realize that your degree of wetness is not necessarily indicative of your levels of desire and arousal. You mm. can be super aroused and not wet at all. And you can be like, you know, driving in the car and all of a sudden you're wet. <laughs> um, similarly, erections aren't always aligned with arousal. So we need to kind of just understand that our notions of sex that we tend to derive from porn in the absence of comprehensive sex education are totally inaccurate. And so when you talk about like stretch marks or gray hair or other things, none of those things affect whether or not you can have or contribute to an orgasm. Uh, and once we get more into the full body and slow down and get to know our anatomy, the whole world, like the, it just opens up for you. Uh, and we need to first give ourselves permission. So those of us who are raised not to talk about sex, that can be, you know, just such a challenge because we have to admit that, you know, this is hard and saying those words out loud can be really difficult. Um, I think we also have to realize that like erections don't just snap up like they did when you were 18 or 19 or 20 years old, and that's okay. And what happens is a negative feedback loop for many guys, you know, they they don't get hard as fast and then they get nervous about why they're not getting hard as fast. And then guess what? When you get nervous, it enacts the fight or flight response, which counters the rest and relax response, which is required for blood circulation 
and erection. So the bottom line is, and you know this, you can maybe speak to this, the more you think about it, the more you worry about it, the more it's not going to happen. And so we have to tune into pleasure. And one of the approaches that we're seeing clinically, but is super practical for everybody to use at home is mindfulness. Like when we actually do practices to tune into the body, and I actually have a course on mindful sex, an online course with audio guides. Yeah, it's at happiercouples.com. It's called Mindful Sex. We can send you that for the show notes. And it's like touch exercises and communication exercises and audio guides. And honestly, if you use this, it is going to make a difference. Sometimes I I feel like people come to me for solutions, but they don't want to put in any work. And I just, you know, want to remind people like you can make change or you can make excuses, but you can't do both generally. Like if you want the growth, you need to change something. And I know it feels like a lot. And I know we've been doing things the same way for 40, 50 years, but it's just one tiny change where you say, you know what, tonight I'm going to get into bed and I'm going to touch myself or I'm going to fantasize or I'm going to touch my partner and not wait for them to come on to me. And I know those are scary things. I don't want to oversimplify them. But that one change can lead to like really impactful growth and fulfillment in the relationship. Okay. Right. And we know that um, sexuality takes on a whole broader definition as we age as well. I mean, we just use the five senses and, you know, just appeal to every single part of our body, mind, and soul. And it just becomes so much better. So as you said, we don't have to be afraid of aging. We just have to embrace it and find other ways and just get in tune with ourselves. Nikki, are you okay? I'm I'm okay. But I know that there's another question that Michelle has been dying to ask you as well. Okay, you go ahead. And tell you? Yes, you go ahead. She's been dying to ask you about, uh, I can't even say the word. Yes, you can. The sex toys. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, like they're all over the place in this room right now. Uh, So definitely, so sex toys are becoming more, more common. So we have data from even about a decade ago that half of American women own one and that's going up so much. So uh, Nikki, you know, I have a new TV show here on a national network in Canada, where we actually hawk sex toys. Like it is a sex, it is a full show about sex. And we are selling sex toys on the shopping channel. On the shopping, I mean, it's called Today's Shopping Choice, but TSC. So this is just becoming the norm, right? You're advertising laundry detergent, you're a- laundry detergent, you're advertising fashion, and you're advertising dildos. And uh, there are so many different brands out there. If people are new to sex toys, I usually suggest you start with something kind of small and affordable. Uh, there's a, a brand called Rump. Like go for a romp in the hay. Um, and it's it's owned by the same brand that has the womanizer toys and the WeVibe toys, which are higher end toys. And it uses the same technology, maybe doesn't have all of the bells and whistles, but still kind of a fun, affordable place to start. Uh, there are different types of toys. So there are vibrating toys that are designed for external play. So from an anatomical perspective, uh, women, people with clitorises are more likely to orgasm from rubbing and grinding and vibing on the outside than from putting things inside. And so folks need to know this and shout this from the mountains that penetration is less likely to lead to orgasm than other forms of arousal and other forms of stimulation. So we've got the external toys, like I love 
the We Vibe Touch X. I can send you links for that as well. Uh, that's kind of my go-to toy. All, almost all of the WeVibe toys are app-enabled, which means that you can control it from your phone from anywhere in the world. Of course, you can just control it with the button on the toy as well if you want to keep it simple. But that's a great external toy. Brennan, maybe you could talk about um, some penis toys. Do you need help with the names? Do you know them? No, I know them. I mean, the the one that most effective for me is it's called the pivot and it's literally it it has a, a piece it, it's a cock ring i mean it's a penis ring and it has a section on the bottom that vibrates and that you can pivot it up so that the pleasure would, would push against the the clit or you can pivot it down so that it the vibrations are against the the balls so i'm like that's probably the one i would recommend yeah, and that's actually a really good toy for couples because if the if the type of sex you're having involves a penis, um, you just kind of add it on. So you don't necessarily have to change anything. It's just, it's a penis ring. So it looks like a ring, like between the size of a wedding ring and a bracelet. And it fits uh, <laughs> at the base of the penis and it's very stretchy. So, you know, it looks kind of small, but it, it can stretch to be huge. Uh, and you, it's just worn at the base of the penis to give vibrations to, to both partners. So that's a good place to start. Uh, another technology that I think is worth mentioning is the Pleasure Air technology, which is owned and patented by Womanizer. So yeah, I kind of hate the name, but you know, they're, they're from Germany. <laughs> and it is a revolutionary toy. What it is, is it's not a vibrator. It's a toy that has a kind of like a little opening at the top, and it fits around the head of the clitoris. And it creates a sensation that's similar to oral sex. It's kind of a cross between licking and sucking and pressure and vibing. Uh, what it's doing from a technological perspective is it's creating tiny little changes in air pressure that create that unique sensation. So the Womanizer toys are really, really cool, all of them. Uh, if you want the same technology at a lower price point, but still licensed and not stolen because there's so many brands just stealing technology out there, Romp uses the same technology. So there's one called the Romp shine which is really cool okay. and i can send you pictures and whatnot you know nikki i'll just bring them down for you next time <laughs> when i come back down to jamaica i'll bring i'll make sure i bring it down okay this is high-tech stuff though high-tech stuff so you got okay good now? information though yeah good are you okay nikki i'm okay i Nikki's know that fine. she's gonna go order something <laughs> these are they're tech companies like they're huge tech companies so they happen to make sex toys but they are many of them are involved in other uh, areas of tech as well. Okay, that's this is just, good information though. This is just like biting the bullet for me. You know? Yeah, just, just, just get into it. Get it. Just get into it. Okay, so this has been good. Yeah, excellent. So thank you so much, Jess and Brandon, for taking the time to give us some insight and mm -hmm. get me to talk a little bit more about sex. But before they go though, they need to tell us, Jess, tell us about your website, your show, how we can find you, your podcast that I've been listening to, by the way. You do it. I'm going to do a disservice. So I'm going to let, I'm throwing <laughs> it right back to her. I've been talking too much. Uh, so it's the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. The good news is that it's co-hosted by Brandon. Uh, we have experts from kind of all areas of relationships, communication, emotional literacy. We talk about everything from communication to anal play uh, and all that good stuff in between. You all right there, Nikki? I'm good. She bit her tongue. She bit her tongue. Um, and so, yeah, check it out. It's free everywhere. Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. And you can find out more info at sexwithdrjess.com or on Instagram, sexwithdrjess.
Perfect. Great meeting you guys. Fantastic conversation. And we'll see you when you come back to Jamaica. With my sex toys for you. Oh, yes. Of course. Don't leave those. Hopefully it's far away. <sighs> can I ask a quick question before I let you go? Where do you, can you get sex toys in Jamaica? Like, is there, is there a nice store in Kingston? Do we need to open one? We need to open one, but there are stores in Kingston though. See? Okay. Yeah. There are stores in Kingston. They are? Oh. Yeah, man. There are stores okay. in Kingston. But of course, they're, they're usually very low-key. Um, but there is one that I know that's, I think it's pretty okay. Um, it's not like a backdoor deal kind of thing. It's a proper store. But a big thing, though, is that it could just be like a delivery service. Because that's a big thing here now. We just Mail pack. Just mail pack that stuff. Is it a sex toy haberdashery? I just wanted to say haberdashery. <laughs> I like to say that word, right? Um, thank yeah. you so much. Thanks yeah, for having thank us. You. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of What the 50. Please show your love and encouragement by sharing, subscribing, and leaving a review wherever you're listening. And don't forget to like and follow us on Instagram. And please join our active Facebook group at what.the50.